I want, I want to begin my, uh, my message a little bit differently today. By, by the way, I'm, if you are a guest, maybe the first time you've ever come here, my name's Danny Forshee, and I'm pastor here at Great Hills uh, Baptist Church, and we're honored that, that you're here today. But within our family, our church family, we, we just got lots going on, lots of, uh, lots of people hurting, uh, lots of people sick, lots of people grieving. And so I'm just going to, y'all know I've got one of these, right? I put it right here. It's called a pastoral privilege card, okay? And whenever I want to pull it out, I just pull it out. So here it is. This is my pastoral privilege card. And, uh, and it says on there, Brother Danny can pray anytime he wants to before the sermon. Okay, good. Thank you all for letting me have that. But in all sincerity, I, I do want us to pray for our worship pastor, our executive pastor, Terry Hurt, as um, he is at home. He and Debbie are watching us online as he is recover, recover, yeah, that word, recovering, recuperating from a pretty invasive, intense uh, four-hour neck surgery that he had on Tuesday. He did great. Uh, the doctor gave him a, a really good report, but he is... Um, He's going to be recuperating for, for a few weeks there. So, Terry, we love you. The church here, we're praying for you. I'm about to pray specifically for you. Also, uh, Miss Donna Brandt went home to be with the Lord a couple nights ago. And so we're praying for that family, Dave, Brandt, and um, just such a sweet, godly, godly family. And talking to him yesterday, he said, um, you know, he's just going to stay home today and just, just kind of grief. And, and so let's, let's be praying for him as they're making arrangements for the funeral. And, and also, and I think, um, I think she's here today, David and, and Eileen Yeager. We're praying for Eileen. Is Eileen in the house? I think she is. There she is. Praise God. We love you. We, we know you're in some battles right now for your health, but we're certainly praying for you, and we love you and your family. And there, there are others. There was a time there this week where, I mean, we had a number of people either in the hospital, having surgery, uh, or, or just dealing with just a lot of, uh, of difficult things. And we have about 20 of our students and uh, pastors and leaders that are heading to Destin, Florida on a time of uh, a break and just uh, senior celebration. So we want to pray for them as they're on the road today. And so there's just a lot, you know, just a lot on your heart, a lot on my heart, a lot on my mind. And, uh, and I just want to just bathe this in prayer and just begin our, our, my time, my preaching time with prayer. Let me just go ahead and tell you, this is going to be a long sermon. Okay, so let me, let, me just, let me just go ahead and tell you. And if you need to leave, and I'm being very sin sincere, come noon, if you need to leave, you need to go get your children, or if you, but they're going to be okay, trust me. But if you're just so hungry, you say, I cannot handle it anymore. I've got to go eat. I've got to use the bathroom, Brother Danny. I, I just got to go. So there's no shame because I, I, God's given me this message, and I, all, I, I really thought about you know, abridging it and editing it, but I'm just going to give you the, the full Monty. I'm going to give you the full deal, and I, I just believe it's a word for us, a word for you, and, but, but really, I'm not into shame and blame, and if you, if you need to slip out about noon, you just go ahead, and, and we will uh, we'll, we'll just dismiss you with our love, and you go and, and do what you need to do, and the 20 of you that remain will continue on, all right? So we'll, we'll stay with it. Seriously, I want to pray. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a few moments of prayer? Lord, we, we know our hearts break and they are troubled. But Lord, you're a good God and you are faithful. And Lord, we, we know that you're moved, Lord, by our suffering. And you care deeply, God. You, you tell us that we are to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, you demonstrated that oh so wonderfully and preeminently when you became one of us and walked where we walk. And you suffered, Lord, like we suffer. But then you suffered even more than we suffer because you died on the cross and you bore all the sin of the world. So if anybody can relate, if anybody can empathize with us, God, we know it's you. And that we pray to a God who cares and a God that's deeply concerned and compassionate for his children. And Lord, we're just a small handful of billions of people on this planet that love you. And Lord, there are billions more that, that don't know you and our hearts break for them, Lord, and their deception and 
thinking, God, that they're doing their God a favor by murdering innocent people like what happened just last night. God, we pray for London. We pray for our dear friends, our, our country, Lord, the, the, the mother country, the old world. We ask you to bless them and give them comfort. Lord, may, may their pastors and their shepherds, Lord, rise up and give great comfort to a grieving nation today. Pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for our president. We pray for uh, his cabinet. We pray for the leaders of this great nation that you'd give them wisdom. Oh, God, help us. To, Lord, you don't ask us to agree with them on everything, but you do ask us to pray for them about everything. So we want to do that. Let, let heaven go on record, God, that 1126-7 Great Hills Baptist Church said a prayer for Donald Trump and Mike Pence and all of his cabinet and all the senators and the congressmen and all the local, state, national leaders, governors. God, we pray for them all that you protect them and give them great wisdom, Lord, as they are doing their best to protect us as a nation. Lord, I do lift up Brother Terry. I just love him and pray for him today. And God, you'd bring healing to him and that restore him to full health and be with um, Debbie and just give her strength, God, as she ministers uh, to her husband. Bless him, God. Let him know how deeply loved he is and we miss him here. Lord, I pray for Dave Brent and pray for his family, God, and the home going of Donna. Lord, no more wheelchairs. No more strokes, no more suffering. The former things have passed away. All things new. Thank you, Lord, for that promise, that hope that we have in Christ. Pray for Dave that you'd comfort his heart, Lord. Be with um, his family and strengthen them. Lord, for our sister Eileen, we're praying for her, God, for supernatural touch of her body, God, that you'd heal her of cancer, that you would just bless her, God. Give her good days and years, Lord. Bless Dave and his family. And, and just let them know, God, that you care for them deeply. And that your church, Lord, you, Lord, you love them so much that you wouldn't let their pastor preach a sermon until he prayed specifically. And God, I, I, Lord, I'm not wise enough. I'm not caring enough to do that. God, that is straight from the throne of God. So God, bless them. Remind them of your care and your comfort to them even now. And I, I thank you for our church, Lord. We, we are a family, and we, we're a growing family, but we're also a grieving family today. So we're praying for all of these needs, and we're asking you, God, to do miraculous things in us, in our church, in our families, and in our nation, and in our world. For we pray this in the name above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to... To do that. You alone, worthy of our praise forever. Did y'all sing that a minute ago? Is that not good? Whoo, man, that's strong. Song messes me up every time I, I sing it. So George Allen was the head coach of the Washington Redskins. Boo, hiss, hiss, boo. This is years ago. This is even before the George, I mean, the, the Gibbs, the Joe Gibbs years. But George Allen was the head coach, but Sonny Jurgison was the quarterback. And, and he fell on some hard times. I mean, they started losing and, and losing bad. I mean, they just could not get a win under their belt. And the media uh, then, just like today, I mean, when you win, everybody loves you, but when you lose, everybody hates you. And and the leader of the team was Sonny Jurgensen. He was the quarterback, and, and man, he was the barren, the brunt of the media anger. Really, their vitriol towards him because they wanted their team in the capital to be winners. Who's got time for big losers? We want winners. And one of the reporters went up to Sonny Jurgensen, and he said these words, and I quote, Say, Sonny, be honest now. Don't all of these off-the-wall remarks we write about you and all this flack doesn't that disturb you? Doesn't it make you just want to quit? When people throw things at you from the stands and when you get all those dirty letters, how does, how does that really make you feel? And Sonny Jurgensen did something that I think is pretty remarkable. He, he leaned back in his chair and he smiled, his big old toothless grin. You know, how many teeth up here? He just smiled and he said these words. He said, well, no, not really. I don't want to quit. 
Because I've been in this game long enough to know that every quarterback, every week of every season, he finds himself either in the penthouse or the outhouse. And he said, and this too will pass. You know, that's what comes with being a leader. When you're a leader of a nation, of a corporation, of a team, of a church, of a family, of a sports group, if you're the leader and people recognize you as the leader, you're going to receive the praise when things are going well, and you're also going to receive the vituperative condemnation and the rebuke when things are going not so well. And I'll tell you, Nehemiah, he experienced this full force. He was a man of God. He loved the Lord. He loved his people. He's the governor of Jerusalem in 444 B.C., doing a great work, really. I mean, God has led him to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, a wall of protection, but also a wall of statement, a statement that says God's not finished with his people. Yes, we've gone through hard times, and in 586, when our nation was destroyed and when our last group of hostages, when they were deported to Babylon, I mean, it may look like on the outside that God has forsaken us, that God has deserted us, but nothing could be further from the truth. God still loves us. Yes, God has chastised us, but now the remnant, they're coming home, and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and Ezra, these men are leading the flock back to God, back to the city. The temple has been rebuilt. Now the wall is going up. And when things are going well, man, Nehemiah is large and in charge, and people are singing his praise. But when things go bad, and man, they're going to go bad. They're going to go south on him here in Nehemiah chapter 6. And you just see the opposition. You just hear the condemning voices. You see the slander. You see the conspiracy, you see the deceit, you see the rumors, and you watch all of this just pile on Nehemiah. And one of you wrote me a note this week, and you said, I've been reading Nehemiah, and I, I just can't wait to see what you have to say about how does he respond in this time, in this crucible, where he is being, I mean, he's really going to face some difficult times. So here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to read it. There's 19 verses. But if you would, just, and guys on the PowerPoint, I, I kind of want to break it up. I want to read the portion of the text that I'm going to address. And then we'll end up reading all 19 verses. And, and we'll make comments on some verses and really not as much comments on the other. Or we will be here two hours, right? So we got 19 verses. But we really need to, to, to look at the whole chapter. Because within this chapter, you'll see the, the difficulty that he experiences. But you'll also see the way, the stellar, really the pristine way that Nehemiah responds to opposition. And so, listen, men and women of God, this is a good word for you because you will face opposition. You will face obstacles. You will be persecuted. You will have people say mean things about you and do mean things to you. And, and by the way, welcome to humanity. It's going to happen to us all. But what separates us and what makes us different is, different is that the Holy Spirit within us gives us the wherewithal to respond in a way that honors God and blesses the people. I've been reading in my quiet time in the book of Acts and so love reading about the Apostle Paul and as he is in, toward the end of Acts. He's been incarcerated in house arrest for two years and now they come to him and they say, well, you're going to we're going to let you go. You appealed to Rome. To Rome you will go, but you're still going to have a centurion, a guard. You know, and Luke and some of your buddies can go with you. And so they, as they make their way across the Aegean Sea and they make their way to Rome, I mean, all disaster breaks out. The Apostle Paul, all he's done is preach the Word of God, love God, love people, try to do his best, and he's put in prison. He's threatened with an inch of his life. He gets on a boat and the boat just shatters because of the storm for 14 days. They don't have anything to eat, and they're washed upon this island. And I was reading that this week going, my word, Lord, what's going on with Paul? And yet, Paul never complains. He gives God praise. He walks through his valley of the shadow of death. He fears no evil. He casts himself upon the care of God. And as I was reading that in my quiet time this week, I was going, God, thank you for sustaining him. And if you can sustain Paul, you, God, you can sustain my church. And you can sustain me. And you can sustain those who suffer because, God, you are with us. John Maxwell, who was a pastor, 
before he became famous, he was pastor of a church, uh, I think it was a Wesley, yeah, Skyline Wesleyan Church in Lemon Grove, California. Uh, he's going to be here in Austin, if I read his website correctly this week, he's going to come and speak. But he has, a, he has a great way of motivating people. You remember his quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. Here's another quote you may not have heard. Every miracle begins with a problem. <laughs> Every miracle begins with a problem. If I may humbly add to that, every miracle begins with a problem, has problems, and will sustain problems until it's done. William Carey, the great missionary, said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Remember that? Can I humbly add to that? Attempt great things for God, expect great things from God, and also expect great opposition from the devil. Because when you step out, I mean, some of you men are here, praise God, and you're like, I'm going to lead my family well. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve my wife and my kids, and I'm going I'm to honor Jesus, and, and, and I'm going to lead my family well. Well, what you have done is you have put a big old circle around your chest, and, and the hordes of hell and the demons of hell, they're going to single you out, and they're going to persecute you. Well, I'm here today, Brother Dan, and I've started this business, and we want to honor God. We want to take Sunday off. We want to tithe, and, and we want to do good things. We want, to, we want to have ethical, biblical principles in our business. And, man, that's just the way we're going to do. And I say, well, amen, way to go. Look out. Look out. I, I, I'm going to lead my church, and we're going to preach the Word of God, and we're going to make disciples, and we're going to go to the nations of the world. You're on the radar. That church is on the radar of hell. And there's going to be opposition. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be difficult. Praise God, Jesus. Ooh, he's worthy. He's awesome. And we'll just keep going until he takes us home. That's the way my mom wanted to approach it. So here we are in, in this study of Nehemiah chapter 6. And the first thing I want you to notice with me is just expect some 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 trying times, okay? Uh, if, if you're taking notes, I think the wording, actually the phraseology goes, expect challenges to come. Tsunamis, <laughs> hurricanes, obstacles. You know, if you anticipate it and expect it, it's easier to deal with. Or it makes it, at least it, it ameliorates it a, a little, okay? If you expect it, if you come to Christ, or if you say, I want to serve the Lord, and everything's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be rosy. It's going to be my best life now, today, and forever. There's not going to be any trials or any difficulty. Here's what's going to happen. When the tsunami blows across your life, you're going to begin to doubt, and, and many of you will doubt so much that you will leave the church and you will leave God because you thought, entering into it, everything was going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. It's going to be hard, and you need to know that. Because you need to be prepared because when the hard times come, God just raises us up and he galvanizes us and he makes us strong so that we can give him praise and we can help other people. Expect challenges to come. Well, let's look at three challenges of Nehemiah. And we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 6. And the first one is conspiracy. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab... And the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, and they said, Oh, our friend Nehemiah, come and let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. That sounds so sweet. You know, Ono was a beautiful place about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It was about a day's journey. Anno just sounds, well, that's an onomatopoeia. It just sounds, Anno, relaxing. Nehemiah, you've been working so hard. Well, why don't you just come with me and my buddy Geshem? And we'll just kind of talk and we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll kind of help you out and, and we'll work things out. And then the Bible says, but they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, and I said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down from this wall. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times. 
And I answered them in the same manner. The, the first challenge for Nehemiah was a conspiracy. There, there were people, conspiratorial ideas, and they wanted to trap him. Really, really what they wanted to do is they wanted to kill him. And when they kill him and silence him, then either Sanballat or, or, or Geshem or Tobiah, one of those can usurp, they can come in and take over being the governor of Jerusalem. That's what they wanted to do because they didn't like that guy. That guy's building that wall. And we don't want that wall to be built. We don't want the stability. We don't want this uh, prosperity of Jerusalem. We want Jerusalem to be under us, not over us. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah, come on over. Let, let's go to Ono and... Man, let's just sip a cold beverage. Let's just, let's just have us a nice meal, and then we're going to stab you and kill you. But he knew. You see, God told him, this is a conspiracy. Don't, don't listen to him. All right, verses 5 through 9. Challenge number 2 is slander. Then Sanballat. That's a rascal, y'all. I'm telling you, a rascal. How would you like to forever have your name recorded in the Bible... And, and you're, you're just a bad joker, a bad dude. You know, only two things are going to last forever, the Word of God and the souls of men. And forever and ever, he, he's, his name's going to be recorded because of his evil intent, his evil tongue, and the way he lived his life. He's forever remembered as Sanballat. He's basically the worker of Satan. He sent his servant to me as before the fifth time. He's persistent, isn't he? With an open letter in his hand, and it, and it was written... Here you go, Nehemiah. It is reported among the nations. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Hey, a bunch of us, we've been talking, and we think you ought to. And who are a bunch of you? Well, you know, but it's really a bunch of us. A bunch of us. We've been talking in the nations. We've gotten together, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall so that you will be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There's a new king in town, in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. That would be Artaxerxes. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. And then Nehemiah said, and I said to them, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, this is just outright slander. Uh, rumors and lies, and, and they're trying to trap Nehemiah. What they're trying to do is make him afraid. Because if they can instill the fear of man, then maybe he will no longer fear God and he'll come off of the wall. One of my favorite Proverbs is 29:25, when it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That's a great word. And Nehemiah, he, he recognizes the conspiracy. He recognizes the lies. Hey, listen, Nehemiah never said that. He never said, well... We're going to build this whole kingdom of mine. I'm going to take Artaxerxes' place. Everybody's going to rise up and call me blessed. I am Nehemiah, God's gift to the world. Here I am. And Nehemiah goes, I never said that. You've twisted my words, and you, you're trying to make me say things I've never said. And, and no, that's just not true. And then the third challenge is deceit, and we see it in verses uh, 10 through 14. So let's read this part of the text. And afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah. Now, for me, I'm thinking if he goes to his house, then it's somebody that he trusts, right? The son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabil, I think, who was a secret informer. The Hebrew word there, Asar, it means it was, maybe he was a secret informer. He was somebody who just stayed at home. He was someone that kept within the confines of his home. And he said to Nehemiah, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. Indeed, at night they will come and they're going to kill you. And Nehemiah said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go 
in, exclamation point. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid. Third time that word's mentioned, by the way. And act that way and I would sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And the prophetess Noadiah, we have no idea who she is. Never again will you see her name, Noadiah. But she was a false prophetess who joined in the unholy chorus with Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah. And they thrust that song against Nehemiah, hoping to whittle him down and destroy him. And the rest of the prophets who would have made me, here it is again, the word, afraid. And so I just call this, this third challenge a, a challenge of deceit. But let, let me share something with you. The reason why Nehemiah would not go into the temple, and this is really important. Nehemiah was very adamant, and he said, no, I'm not going into that temple. And here's why. Number one, he's not a priest. He goes in the temple, and he's not a priest. Then he incurs the wrath of God. Hey, listen, you don't believe me? Ask Uzziah in the Old Testament. He went in the priest. He wasn't a priest. He was a king. And he went in, and God struck him with leprosy. And so Nehemiah's like, "Mm -mm -mm. no, no, no. I'm not a man of the cloth, but I respect those men of the cloth, and I'm not going in there. And then he said, well, why should I go in there? If I run off the wall into the temple and cower like a coward, what are my people going to think about me? What are my people going to think when they, they're working on the wall? They're almost finished. They're doing the best they can. They say, well, where's our leader? Well, he's scaredy pants, like scaredy pants, and he ran. And he ran the temple, and he's, and, he's, and he's praying, God, protect me in the temple. Nehemiah says, no, no, no. I love God, I love my people, I'm a man of integrity, I'm a man of character, and I am not going to church for that reason. Dude, you're the real deal. Mercy. God did not tell him to hide. God told him to work. It's so easy, especially when your friends say it's okay, you know, I mean, I'm sure, God, listen, if God will let anybody in the temple, Nehemiah, I'm sure he'll let you in. But he was so stringent to obey the voice and the clear teachings of God. And I just, I just respect that so much. So some of you are thinking, you're going, my word. This is, this is very discouraging. What, wh where is a good word in this for me? Well, here's the good word. How do you respond to challenges like this. Let's take just a few minutes and, and look at some of the responses of Nehemiah. You see them in verse 3, verse 8, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14, especially, watch this, in verses 9 and 14, just write out in your notes, write the word P-R-A-Y. Nehemiah, he prayed, he stopped twice, and he said, oh God, deliver me, oh God, help me. Because, Lord, I am overwhelmed with these challenges. And would you just step in, God, and, and give me deliverance and shut them up, Lord. You deal with them, God. They're stronger than me. And there's more of them than there are of me. So, Lord, you take care of them. Listen, guys, that is a great way to respond. I know that's the hard way to respond. I know you want to take matters in your own hands. And you just want to give them five of these where they sneeze. And you just want to wrestle them on the ground. And you want to deal with them. But God says, no, pray. And Jesus... In Matthew, he says, listen, when people persecute you and say all kinds of manner of evil against you, you love them and you pray for them and you bless them. Man, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. It's not only hard, it's impossible. Without the Holy Spirit of God living in us and us living that poor in spirit life, the divine exchange, the Holy Spirit within us, I mean sanctifying us. So number one, you pray. Number two, be discerning. Discern. Because of his walk with God, his love for God, he was able to uh, ascertain the truth of, of the plot. He, he, Sanballat, he didn't want to meet with him and have a cup of tea or whatever they drank back then, wine or whatever it was they drank back then. No. He said, no, no you, you don't want to fellowship with me. You want to fight with me, and I'm not going to give you the privilege of doing that. And then Shemaiah, his friend, I, I think he's a friend. 
He says, come on to my house. And uh, I went to his house and, and I heard his story about the temple. And he goes, no, God, that's not of you either. In verse 12 it says, And Nehemiah perceived that God had not sent him. The Hebrew word perceived here is nakar. Listen to this. It means to discern. It means to understand and distinguish and recognize. Let, 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 me, get, let me give you a good word here. And by the way, I know I'm giving you lots of Bible, lots of Scripture. And if you hang with me just a few more minutes, I'm going to give you some stories of application and illustration I think will help you. But, but stay with me on this. If somebody tells you to do something that is in clear violation of the teaching of the Bible, then they are mistaken. Okay? I don't care who they are. I don't care how winsome they are. I don't care how much you respect them. If they tell you, you need to do that, I know what God says, but God will understand this time. Surely he'll understand. By the way, y'all are in love. <laughs> God created love. God created sex. So surely he would understand if y'all slept with each other and cohabitated with one another before you get married. It's okay because everybody's doing it for heaven's sake. Surely God will understand. And God, listen, you just go ahead and do But listen, don't do that. God clearly said that is a sin, and, 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 and 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that sin against the body, and I, I, I don't understand everything about that, but I understand enough to say don't do it. And when you, seriously, trust, trust God on this. And so Nehemiah, he just, he's strong, and he's, no, I'm discerning. I'm, 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 I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to capitulate. I'm not going to acquiesce into this temptation, even though it is tempting to run and hide. And I'll tell you, I'm tired of working on that wall too, Lord. I tell you, people wear me out of my blisters and my hands. And Lord, you know I love you and you love me. But nope, not going to go in the temple and hide. Here, here's the last thing. Speak. Speak boldly. That's how you respond wisely and boldly to your challenges. You speak. In verse 3, he tells them, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down off of the wall. Verse 8, Samballat, you are lying. You are not telling the truth. Verse 11, no. I am not going in the temple. Listen, when times are the hardest, is your opportunity to give your most powerful speech. Now, I, I hope the movie's good because I'm going to be with popcorn, like right here. I'm going to have a big old, well, Ashley's going to have a big old Diet Coke. Because if she gets it, I only take a couple of sips of it. Because if I get it, I'll drink the whole thing. So I got my Diet Coke and I got my popcorn. I'm going to watch Dunkirk. It's coming out July the 21st. I, I hope it's a good movie. Because it tells the, a true story of when England in, in May of 1940, well, I know the story, but I won't tell you the story because I don't want to ruin the movie for you. But it, it's during an intense time during World War II. And let me give you some surrounding events that are going on, not only about Dunkirk, but listen to this. Forty-seven warships were destroyed off of Norway right after Dunkirk. During the most bleak time for England, half of the British destroyers were in the shipyards. The Royal Air Force had lost almost half of its striking power. And England is on the precipice of being destroyed. I mean, Nazi Germany, they have overtaken Europe. They, they have got their eyes on Russia. They've got their eyes on America. But they, first of all, they've got to deal with that island nation. And if they can take that island nation down and we're so very close, then the world is ours. But what they underestimated was a bulldog determined man by the name of Churchill. Winston Churchill. This is what he said in June of 1940. Right during the events of this, he said, I love you English people, but I'm going to America and save my hide. God bless y'all. Hang in there. I'll pray for you. not what he said. He said just the opposite. Whew, I don't know why I'm getting emotional reading Churchill, but this, this is what he said. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost. We're going to fight on the beaches. We're going to fight in the fields. We're going to fight them in the streets, and we're going to fight them in the hill. We shall never surrender and if this island were subjugated and starving, our empire on the seas would carry on the struggle until God's good time, the new world. They're over there. If they just wake up, the new world 
with all of its power and all of its might, they step forward to the rescue and the liberation of the old world. End of quote. By the way, the new world did step in. And by the way, when we step in, things happen. And we liberated them. When you read Churchill and you read his speeches, that's only a part of it. You've got to read his life. Read his diplomacy and his politics, the way he was wooing us and doing everything within his power, coming over here, speaking to our president, speaking to our congressmen, speaking to our senators, saying, please, guys, you may not understand, but these people are for real. And when they take us, they're going to come and take you. We've got to stand united against them. And, and they did. And praise God, that's why we're here today. I don't know about you, but I appreciate that. I appreciate that deeply. The men and women who stood and fought Nazism, and the same men and women who are fighting terrorism, I praise God for them and I pray for them that God would give them victory and God would give them protection. So we got to pray, we got to discern, and then we got to have a little Churchillian in us and we got to speak. The task that God gives you is just as important. I don't know what your task is. So I don't have a task. I'm just, I'm just coasting through life. Sir, get ready. Ma'am, get ready. Because trouble comes. And it's coming. It's coming to our nation. Death knocks on every door. Trials and difficulty... Like a hurricane come. I tell you, England's only hope is Jesus. America's only hope is Jesus. The void will be filled. The void will be filled. Secularism, Islam, or Christianity will fill the void. I don't know what your task is, but I know what my task is. My task is to be a good husband and father and pastor in that order. <laughs> ah, here we go. I've been chewed out twice already this morning. No, not by church members. God bless you. Thank you. When I say that, some of y'all just rise up. Some of you look at me, I'll just go take them out, Brother Danny. Tell me who they are. I'll take them out. <laughs> no, it was in our new members class when I told them what we believe and what we stand for. They had some choice words for me. and It was embarrassing. They stormed out of the room. So you are making that up. Well, you asked the church members who were in the room with me, and it was very uncomfortable. And I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of rattled by it. And I, I don't know what your task is. My task is to lead this church to be a Bible teaching, preaching church that takes the gospel to the nations. That's that's who that's who we are, and that's that's what we're going to be. So you'll understand when I share this story with you because it speaks to us, it speaks to me. His name is Pastor Satish Kumar. It's fascinating that the largest church in the world now is no longer in Seoul, Korea. It's in Hyderabad, India. I love me some India. I just want you all to know that. I praise God. For that great nation and for the work that Great Hills is doing in India. Pastor Kumar, when he was 12 years of age, he gave his life to Christ. He was converted out of radical Hinduism 
and he became a follower of Jesus. When he was 18, he surrendered to the ministry to be a pastor. And when he was 21, he started Calvary Temple Church with 10 people. Today, anybody just curious as to how many worshipers they will have at Calvary Temple in Hyderabad? 168,000. No joke. 168,000. And by the way, India is becoming more and more difficult. There's 1.4 billion people in India. 85% of them are Hindus. 14% of them are Muslims. What, what, do your math. What, what's left? 1%. Isn't it just like God to say, and I'll put my biggest church where my people are the weak. Isn't that amazing? 168,000 of them. You say, well, it's a bunch of Joel Osteen folks. I bet you that's what it is. That's the only way you can grow a church, Brother Danny. Good luck preaching the Bible and going to the nations. You, you need to go south and, and tell us about our best life now. Well, here, here's, here's what he does. Here's what they do. Pastor Kumar, February 28, 2017, just a few weeks ago, said these words. At the National Religious Broadcaster, NRB is a very reputable bunch. I used to be a part of the NRB. I, I can speak for them. They are the real deal. Jerry Johnson used to be the president of Criswell College. Now he's the president of the NRB, and they invited Pastor Kumar. And you don't invite, you're not invited to the NRB unless you're the real deal. And he said, if we don't have a vision for the future, this is the Indian pastor speaking, we will go back to our past. If we don't have vision, then we perish and our ministry perishes. And then he said, Pastor, don't give up. Our God is delaying to give you the best which is stored up for you. I read another article about Pastor Kumar and Calvary Temple. And this pastor, this writer said, I'm going to give you the, the seven reasons why this church has exploded from ten to 168,000 in just a few short years. The first salient feature of this church is they preach the Bible. Verse by verse, word for word. Pastor Kumar teaches five times every Sunday. They built an 18,000-seat sanctuary. He preaches from 60 to 70 minutes every sermon. <laughs> and then that afternoon, he does a training for a little group of 1,200. Unashamedly preaches the Bible, preaches the cross, preaches sin, preaches repentance, preaches heaven, preaches hell, just preaches the Bible. The, the second reason is actually, I'm sorry, I got them inverted. The second reason I'm about to give you is actually the first reason, okay? Number two was preaching the Word. Number one was prayer and fasting. He prayed and fasted and called his church to pray and fast for 120 days. For 120 days, they prayed and fasted and said, God, here we are in Hyderabad, and we are being persecuted. It looks impossible. God, would you have mercy on us? We believe that there are people here that you're going to save, and we want to disciple them. But, Lord, where can we meet? They bought 12 acres, which is almost impossible. They bought 12 acres, and while he was praying and fasting, God spoke to Pastor Kumar and said, Did you remember the book of Nehemiah? Pastor Kumar says, Yes, Lord, I do. He said, How long did it take them to build the wall. He said, 52 days. And he said, in 52 days, you're going to build a place that'll seat 18,000 people. And guess what? They did, and it has air conditioning. <laughs> and they fill it up, fill it up, 168,000 people. Prayer and fasting. Oh, by the way, I'm going to call us to some prayer and fasting. Not 120 days, just 40, Okay. You say, and uh, when are we going to do this? No, when are you going to do this? Um, in August. We're going to start praying and fasting middle of August all the way up until we plant our church and send Brother Stu and the team out because we're going to need to be praying and fasting. There's a lot of things we do as a church that the devil tolerates, and that's not one of them. He does not tolerate church planting. So I'm going to have us... 
Uh, every seventh day, I'll ask you to fast with me. But for 40 days, we're just going to have continuous prayer. So excited about that. Anybody with me? Anybody want to join me with that? Okay. We're going to, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast, and we're going to commission them out, and we'll just see what God does with us. Number three, they care for their people. Um, they give them a card. I told you all the sermon run a little bit long, so hold on, hold on with me. Everybody gets a card. And you swipe your card to show that you attended church that day. All 168,000 of them. When you don't swipe your card on Sunday, a pastor calls you Monday morning. <laughs> I'm serious. And they say, are you okay? Are you sick? Do you, do, is there a need in your family? What can I do to help you? Don't think that doesn't motivate people to go to church. I don't want the pastor calling me. Now, not Pastor Kumar, right? He ain't calling 100,000 people. But they care for their flock. Uh, every member's birthday, they get a birthday cake sent to their home. India is one of the most poverty-stricken nations in the world. And those poor people who don't have hardly anything, and their church delivers them a baked birthday cake, and it says, we love you. We and glad you're a part of our church. You know what that does to them? You know how many they do? Up to 4,000 a day. They've done as many as 4,000. They feed 10,000 people every Sunday a, a meal. There are four other reasons, and I, I think I can remember them, but I only meant to share three with you, but let me see if I can remember them. Supernatural faith in God, a love and support for Israel, a disciplined work ethic and wise usage of media. Those are the seven reasons why this author said that church has just absolutely exploded. So, my last thing to do is read the last few verses. We're going to have the invitation. Watch this. Verse 15, here it comes. So, the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened... When all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very mad, so disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. In other words, don't expect everybody to rejoice with you when God does a great work in your life, in your family, in your church, in your business. They just won't. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Translation, he was well-connected, well-healed in the Jewish culture. He married into it. His family married into it. He was deeply respected by the surrounding nations. He wanted to be the governor so he's antagonizing Nehemiah, saying, Nehemiah, if you'll just step down, let me step in, and I'll set everything right. And so he, he undermined him, and he worked overtime, Tobiah did, with his friend Sanballat. In verse 19, and they reported his good deeds before me, and they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to, I think it's the fifth, fourth or fifth time, finally. They did all this to scare me, to frighten me. So let, let, let me just close with this. I, I don't know what you're building. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what your business is or what your team is or, or what your family's like or, or, or what your church situation is. I, I just know this. If you're going to attempt a great work for God, then expect and anticipate obstacles, opposition. Expect tribulation and persecution. Just expect it, anticipate it, because it will come. It's just, it's just going to come. You're going to have a difficult go with it, but here's the good news. God is with you. God will help you. And you need to pray. You need to be discerning and wise. And you need to speak truth in that context. God bless you. I love you, church. I do. I just love you. I appreciate you. And I, I believe the Holy Spirit's up to something in this place. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for 
speaking to us through it. It's, Lord, it really is like it was written yesterday. It's so pertinent. It's so applicable. Father, I do. I pray as I began this message, I want to pray for our people, Lord, especially those who are faced with opposition and with difficulty. Would you help them? Uh, would you strengthen them, Lord, as they stand for their family and, and stand for righteousness? And as our church, Lord, as we continue to try best we can to stand, Lord, in an avalanche of secularism and immorality and, and compromise, God, please help us just stand and speak the truth in love. Lord, for those that are here today and have no relationship with you, God, and they are separated from you, Lord, would you draw them to yourself, oh God? Would you, Holy Spirit, just, just prick them and draw them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God who shed his blood? Oh God, would you save people in this room today and on this television program and on this internet program? God, would you, would you reveal how awesome you are? And Lord, just make it Make it, Lord, they just can't resist. They have to say, Jesus, you are God, and I need you in my life, and I pray that for you, friend. If you're here today and you've never responded to God's gracious invitation, would you repent today and say, I believe, and I trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Father, I pray for those that are here today and they're struggling. God, give them, give them all the support. And all the Holy Spirit comfort, Lord, that they need. And help me and help our staff and our deacons and our connect group leaders and, and our leaders. God, help us do a better job of ministering to our flock, loving them, praying for them, interceding for them. And Lord, finally, I just pray this, Lord, in boldness. And I pray this, Lord, in faith. Lord, we're swimming against a mighty tide. And Lord, I came face to face with that and was reminded of that afresh and anew today. Lord, would you help us? Would you grow our church, God? Would you cause people to storm it instead of storm out? Lord, you know me, you know my heart, and I would never, ever quit preaching your word. But Jesus, is just like it's you and me talking right now. But if you would be so kind, would you send people to us that we can disciple and that we can help? Lord, you said this is my church, and upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. It's your church, Lord. It's not mine. It's not preachers. It's not any other pastors. God, it's your church. So we're asking you, Lord, to grow it, to prune it, to do whatever, God, you want to do in us and through us. Lord, I'm praying now for our altar, that God, it'd be a sacred place. And Lord, I do, if, if we're about to have the invitation, I do pray that people come. We're about to have our offering, and I do pray that people give. But God, if people are pressed, and they're very pressed for time, Lord, just, just let them go, and, and let them go in peace, and let them know, Lord, I love them, and you love them, but... But Lord, would you just tarry with us a little bit longer as we have this sacred, sacred romance at the altar of God. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? God bless you. Thank you for your patience. Let's stand. Corey, y'all lead us as we do business with God. <laughs>